Good morning and welcome to Crosspoint. My name is Bruce Rokas, and along with Mike Moran, I serve as one of the preaching and teaching pastors here. And today we begin a brand new series called 50 Days of Transformation. Now, it took Rick Warren two years to develop this material, and I'm trying to every week be ahead of you by one week and to digest this material so I can share it with you. But I am blessed to have this material, and I'm blessed that we have someone like Rick Warren at Saddleback Church who is willing to share this with churches all over the world because we're going to benefit from this. He said that this series um, exponentially changed his church. Of all the series he's done, he says this one here was the one that made the biggest difference at Saddleback. And so today we begin with how to get closer to God. I want us to start today by reading our key theme verse throughout this series. Look up here on the screen with me. It's Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and I want you all to read it with me. Here we go. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, if there's areas of your life that you need transformation in, that you need change in, Do not start by your actions and do not start by your feelings. You're going to hear Rick say this again and again throughout this series in your growth groups, which begin this week. The way you think determines the way you feel, and the way that you feel determines the way that you act. But you start with your thinking. In all seven key areas of your life, it starts right here. Your thinking is the starting point. In your spiritual life, in your physical life, in your mental life, in your emotional life. In your relational health, in your financial health, and in your vocational health. Those are the seven key areas we're going to be looking at in the next seven weeks. And so I want you to make a commitment today to not miss a single Sunday and not miss a single growth group. And if you haven't already got one of these... Uh, Vicki told me this morning we were down to like 17. We may need to order more. And then I heard three people speak up and says, I want one, I want one. So we may be down to like, you know, 14. If you want one, get one today. Should be in our usual spot outside in the um, guest services booth. Take out your outline. It's in your bulletin this morning. Look there at the top section just under the verse that we just read. You see where it says, the further you get from God the more your life is troubled. But the closer you get to God, the more your life is transformed. And I can't think of a person who was transformed any more than the Apostle Paul. I mean, if you knew Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, before and after, you would say something happened to this life. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul uses it as proof that there was a resurrection of Jesus Christ. You remember my former life, now look at me. That never would have happened. He went from Christian killer to Christian maker because he saw the risen Savior. That's a transformation. Now the Bible speaks of us and says, all we like sheep have what? Gone astray. And the Bible calls us, God kind of calls us the sheep of his pasture, and In calling us sheep, he was really not paying us any compliment at all because there's nothing really spectacular about a sheep. They can't run fast. They can't jump high. They don't have teeth. They can't fight off predators. And sheep, not necessarily dumb, but they have a tendency and are prone to wander. And they end up in some predicaments that, you know, that's, you ever wonder why a shepherd's staff has a curve on it? Because when they end up down there, 
and the shepherd has to reach down and pick them up. He brings them home. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells really three parables, but with one main story, one main theme, one main lesson. He tells a story of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep but lost one. He leaves the 99 safe sheep and goes in search for that one sheep. And when he finds it, puts it on his shoulders, brings it home, and there's rejoicing. Second story, he says, people are not only like lost sheep, people are like lost coins. You know, lost coins sometimes when they drop to the floor. You ever, you know, imagine living back in those days when many of the floors were dirt and sometimes they would cover them with leaves. Where did that coin go? You got to sweep the whole house and when you finally find the coin, you rejoice with your neighbors and you say, it was lost, but now it's found. And then he says, people are not only like lost sheep and lost coins, they're like lost boys who wander away from the Father, and they end up in pig pens and in messes. And I don't know where you are this morning, but here's the main lesson that I want you to get. No matter how far from God you are, if we learn anything from the prodigal son story, it's just one step back, and the Father runs to meet us. Where are you this morning? Are you far away? God wants you home. He doesn't want you to stay away. But in order to take that one step back, you've got to go through a four-step process. And that's what I want to talk about this morning as we examine the story of the lost son and the loving father. Follow along as I read. Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, Give me my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So the father divided his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and left home to live in a distant land. He's going to get as far from his father as he possibly can. There he squandered the gift he'd been given and wasted his life and money on wild parties and reckless living. About the time all his money ran out, a severe famine hit the land, and he began to starve because... He was left with nothing. The only job he could find was feeding swine on a farm. He became so desperate and hungry that even the pig slop he was feeding, uh, pig slop he was feeding the swine looked good to him, but no one would give him anything for his hunger. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Self, this is crazy. Have you ever done that? Sometimes you need to talk to yourself when you find yourself in a pig pen. This is crazy. My father's home. Uh, Even the lowest paid workers eat well. Well, I'm far away dying of hunger. I'm going to return home to my father and humbly say, Father, I have sinned against both God and you. And I'm not worthy to be a part of this family I called your son. But please just make me one of your servants who works for you. With that attitude, he headed back to his father. But while the son was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran out to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against both God and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe we have in our house and put it on him. Then get my signet ring for his finger 
and shoes for his feet. Then roast the calf. We've been fattening. Been fattening. We're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. For this child of mine was distant and dead, but now he's back again. He's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Don't you love that story? I mean, that's been called the, the gospel in a nutshell. I mean, if you want the Reader's Digest version of the gospel, that's the story to read. Probably the most famous parable in all the Bible. So what do we have here? we got a rebellious son who's in give-me mode. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Now, when does a son normally receive the inheritance from his father? When his father passes away. So in essence, he's saying, Dad, wish you were dead because I want it now. And he takes that money and he goes to the Las Vegas of his day. I mean, you, you get the idea here. And he spent all that money on riotless, you know, wild parties and crazy living. And while he had lots of money, he had lots of what? Friends. But when the money ran out, he had no friends. And now he ends up wearing a pig pen. The only, he's a Jewish boy shipped me messing with swine. And where is he at? Feeding swine. The only job he could find, he's so hungry, the pig food's looking good to him. The man, he came to his senses. Thank God some boys never do. Some girls never do. It's senseless to live without God. He came to himself, man, at least my father's house, there's food. The, the servants get better than this. Way better. I'm going to go home and tell him, God, I, Dad, I'm sorry. I sinned against God and I get sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just bring me back. If you'll just bring me back, I'll be blessed with that. And the father has nothing to, he just says, man, you know what? He sees the penitent heart. He runs to meet his son. Will God run to meet you when you're ready to come home? Of course he will. Our God's a running God. And he runs to meet him, hugs him, kisses him. You know, the the ring, the the robe, the, the shoes, the fatted calf, the party begins. That's a wonderful story. Before he ever took that one step home, Bill, though, he had to take these four steps to get to that one step. Let's look at those four steps. Let's look at the pathway back home. Number one, I get fed up with my life. You ever get sick and tired of being sick and tired? <laughs> this boy was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Man, he had had it with, with uh, his, his lifestyle, and now he's in a pig pen. Are you in a pig pen this morning? I want you to think of that pig pen as God knocking on your door. God getting your attention. And if you don't answer that door, you know what he's going to do? He's going to bring a bigger storm into your life. He's going to knock your door down. Why? Because God's mad at you? No, it's God's love for you, wooing you back. And he's going to take whatever it takes. Some of us are just really hard-headed. And it takes a whole lot for God to get our attention, to get us flat on her back. Sometimes the best place to look up is when you're flat on your back. And God has got this boy's attention, doesn't he? Look at Luke 15, 13. He wasted it all. He had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry, hungry and desperate. When you're hungry and desperate, you are ready for transformation. Some of you just aren't ready. You haven't had enough pain in your life yet. You haven't hit bottom yet, but that day's coming, and God will be there for you. I love what Jeremiah 29, 13 says. This is God talking. He says, you'll find me when you get serious about finding me, and you want me more than anything else. 
See, God's not going to reveal himself to you until you're serious about him revealing himself to you. But you got to get fed up before you get serious. This boy is now fed up. He's now serious. you got to want God more than you want that thing that you're holding on to. This rebellious son is repentant now. This rebellious son is now ready to go home. He couldn't wait to get away from his father, and now he can't wait to get back home to his father. So, number one, get fed up with my life. The second point on the pathway back home is to own up to my sin. Luke 15, 17 says, When he came to his senses, to live without God doesn't make sense, does it? To live without God is senseless. And and he owns up to his own sin. I like this. He said, circle it in your outline. It's just a little word. I've underlined it here and made it bold. I have sinned. He's not copping out, is he? He's not blaming dad. He's not blaming mom. He's not blaming his brother. He's not blaming society. He's not blaming his circumstances. He is owning up. He's now ready to take responsibility. He's fed up with his life. I got myself into this situation. It was me that got me into the pig pen. Some some of you are still blaming God for your pig pen. I have sinned against God and you. I love that. I have sinned. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your sins have separated you from your God and have hidden His face from you. Have you ever prayed and you felt like God was a million miles away? Well, if you ever have, guess who moved? It wasn't God. If you feel a million miles away from God, it's because you moved a million miles away. God stayed put. God's always been on His throne. God's always been where He said He'd be. There to meet you and greet you. Just don't ask God to live in the pig pen with you. That's not going to work. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. You want fellowship with God, you have fellowship with God on His terms. If you feel distant from God, it's because... Well, the truth of the matter is, you're as close to God as you choose to be. You are as close to God right now, this morning, as you choose to be. Look up on the screen, Psalm 51. This is an interesting psalm. The background of the psalm is the David and Bathsheba story. How many of you were here yesterday at 5 in the morning for prayer? I see that hand. I see those hands. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Jedver did a wonderful job of taking us through this story of Uriah the Hittite, a silent servant, just serving God, doing his thing. And, it, and, and the story starts off, as Jedver read it, at the time when kings went to war, David stayed home. Big trouble there. We don't know why, but he should have been out with his men. If he's going to be a leader, you can't lead where you're not willing to go, right? He should have been out there with his men, and here he is staying at home. I don't know, he gets bored. One night he goes up on the rooftop. You know, he's in the palace, so he looks down on everybody else, and there was a home over there. Whoa, who is that? There's a beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing. She has no idea. His eyes are on her. And rather than avert his eyes and walk away and go, oh man, shouldn't have done that, he stares at her. He calls for her. When the king summons, you have no choice. 
He sleeps with her. And then word gets back to David, I am pregnant. The cover-up begins. All right, I got a plan. I'm going to call for your husband to come home from the battle. Give him a little weekend R&R. No one to be the wiser. Everyone to think the child's his, right? So he comes home and David greets him. You know, how's Joab, the captain? How's the battle going? And gets the report. They have a wonderful meal. And he says, now you go on home and enjoy your wife and have a good time off. You deserve it. And so he goes home, right? No, he doesn't. He says, King, <laughs> uh, I'm here to give you a report on the battle. I'm happy to do all that. But how can I go home and enjoy my wife when my men are out there fighting in the dangers? I will not do that. And he sleeps. And he, and king insists, but he doesn't do it. Well, the king, plan B, I'll get him drunk. He'll do it then. His ambitions will be down. He'll listen to me this time. He doesn't do it. And so the fix is in. David writes a letter to Captain Joab. Joab, when um, the battle's raging tomorrow, find the hottest spot of the battle and send Uriah and some men to that spot. And then when Uriah takes the lead, have the rest of the men pull back. Now Joab's reading this and going, man, that doesn't sound like the David I know. That's crazy. Why would you? But, you know, Joab was loyal. And I think there's some politics going on. Joab, you know, he, he obeys this, but I think he holds it over David's head, too. There was this weird relationship those guys had. Politics, military, government, all that stuff. Way back then. And so that's what happens. And when word gets back to Bathsheba that her husband had died in battle, she mourns for many days. And after the mourning is over, David takes her as his wife. And a baby is born. And again, a knock at the door. Remember Nathan the prophet shows up? Hey, Dave, I want to talk to you about something. Nate, come on in. And so Nate comes in, and they start talking, and he says, yeah, what's up? How can I help you? He says, well, I just want to let you know about something. There's this really rich guy. He had all, you know, servants aplenty and sheep aplenty, and, and uh, he had a neighbor that just had one little lamb, just a new lamb, more like a pet than anything else. And this rich guy had a guest come over for, for dinner, and rather than use one of his own sheep from his own flock, he reached over the fence of his neighbor, took that one little lamb they had, now, you remember Dave was a shepherd boy. He's really relating to this. Slaughtered it and fed his guest. David's indignant. He is mad. He is, let me at him, let me at him. And then you remember what Nathan says. David, you're the man. And David thought he got away with it. David thought he could hide from God. David thought, I'll be in the pig pen and no one will know. No one will be the wiser, but God knew. During this nine-month period, David wrote no songs. He wrote no psalms. He was a million miles away from God. God was still where he was. But David was in the pig pen. Now here's what I like about this. David doesn't cover up. Like the prodigal. Look what he writes. 
Be merciful to me, O God. Because of your constant love, because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Whose sins? My sins. I did it. Wash away all my evil. He realizes. He comes to grip with what he has done and make me clean. Wash me with hyssop, one version says. I recognize, I, I, I recognize my faults. I am conscious that I've sinned against you. Now there's a man after God's own heart. There's a man who knows when to leave the pig pen and run home to the Father. I love that about David. He, he's saying, look, I was wrong when I didn't go to battle. I was wrong when I went on the rooftop. I was wrong when I looked down at the woman. I was wrong when I took her to myself. You know, one of David's psalms here, right? Can a man take a heap of fire and bring it to his chest without getting burned? <laughs> Can you imagine going down and pick a big old log of fire and bring it to your chest and not expect to get burned? And then he says, can a man commit adultery without getting burned? See the equation that he gives right there? David knew about adultery, didn't he? David knew about murder. David knew about cover-ups. But David also knew to come clean, and he knew to run home to the Father and get out of the pig pen as quickly as he could. He admitted his own faults. Now, what happens when you do this? Look at Isaiah 118. How does God respond when I own up to my sin? The Lord says, David, no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I'm just using David there, present David's excluded, okay, this is King David, because we just read his story, right? Put your own name in there, Bruce. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Don't you love that kind of God? Mm. That's the God I serve. That's the God I love. No more cover up. But I got to get fed up. I got to own up. Number three, I got to offer up. I got to offer up myself. I got to become a servant. What's the boy saying? I'm going to go home and I'm not going to be asked to get back. I'm not going to ask to get back in the family. I'm going to ask to become a servant. That's the attitude. That's the heart. Notice the change of attitude from verse 12 to verse 19. Verse 12 goes something like this. The son drifted away saying, give me my share. Now next verse. Verse 19. He returned to the father saying, make me a servant. He went from give me to make me. Give me, give me, give me. No, just make me a servant. That would be enough. That that would be so great. That's a, a heart of transformation. Where's your heart this morning? Ready to be transformed in the next 50 days? This is the beginning point. If you've been far from God, repent, own up. Get fed up. Offer yourself up. You're still in the give me stage? Maybe Christians... I think God lets get away with it. Gimme, 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 gimme. But if you've been in the kingdom a while, you needed to make me, make me, make me a servant kind of stage. That's what God wants. Speaking of service, um, this morning, Noe Avila led our communion service. And I said, no, I don't know that I recall you being up here and leading communion before. He says, no, I haven't. I said, have you ever led a prayer in here, read a script? Have you ever done He said, no, this is my first time. 
And I like to, I like to honor first-time service. Thank you, Noe, for sharing God's <laughs> Lord's Supper with us this morning. A servant spirit. Make me a servant spirit. It's not instant. It doesn't come overnight. God's still working on me. I'm not there yet. The Apostle Paul wasn't there yet. 2 Corinthians 3.18, look on the screen. We, this is Paul included, you, me, Paul, reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed. Notice that. It says, being transformed. You're not transformed instantly. You're You're justified instantly. You're saved instantly. But the sanctification process will take a lifetime. We won't fully be transformed until we're in the presence of God in a perfect heaven. But the process has begun. And by the way, see that word transformed? It's the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get our word metamorphosis. That's that... um, that amazing transformation that takes place when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. By the way, did you hear what the caterpillar said to the butterfly? You'll never get me up in one of those things. <laughs> Metamorphosis. Transformation is a process, but it's here's the starting point. Just like the prodigal son, you and I must become volunteers of sorts. We must be servants and say, make me a servant. If you were to rate yourself this morning, how would you rate yourself on the service scale? Is it all about you? Hey, I think I'm doing God a favor. I showed up this morning and ate communion. Man, I tell you, we got some great service servants in this church. Uh, I get here early and I see all the, the, the band members, the praise team members, the people that set up for for our fellowship time, here early, stay late, clean up. Uh, if you haven't seen our nursery yet, you need to go back there and see what our deacons have done in that nursery. It's amazing, remodeled the whole thing last year. I, I know it's, you got here this morning, some of you looked at the restrooms and said, these restrooms are out of order? You mean i got to walk 90 feet out there to use those restrooms? You know why? Because we've got some great deacon service who are saying, let's save the church some money. We can use that money for kingdom stuff. If we can do like about, you know, 75, 80% of this repair ourselves. And it's demoed and it's going to be down a while. But thank God for the servant spirits that we have right here at Crosspoint who want to expand the kingdom of God by giving up their time. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Look on the screen. Because God is merciful to you, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship and do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind no transformation until you offer yourself now here's the most important part of the lesson don't don't miss this note the father's response to the son when he comes home luke 15:20 filled with love and compassion he ran out that's the father Will God run? Absolutely. He ran out to his son, threw his arms around him. Oh, by the way, I kind of think he was looking for the son's return. He saw that son leave home with tears in his eyes, the father, until he was just a dot at the end of that road where the family house was, and now he's gone. I think every day he went out hoping to see a little dot return. And as that boy returned, he runs to meet him, throws his arms around and kisses him. And he says, bring the 
best. The best what? I want the best robe. I want the best ring. What's the best ring in a house in the first century when Jesus spoke these words? The signet ring. Who did it belong to? The head of the household, the father. What's so special about a signet ring? Well, uh, do you have an American Express card or a Visa card or, you know, a gold platinum card, a black card? You know, these things that you can charge things on that. That signet ring was what the father used to do commerce. Now, when the father couldn't go someplace, he'd give that ring to his son and say, hey, we need lumber, we need bales of hay, we need, you know, livestock feed. And they would take that signet ring, and that was like a credit card in that day of time. The father was good for it. Now, here comes the boy, and he says, Dad, I'm not worthy to call your son. Ridiculous. Best robe. Dad, no, no, I just want to be a servant. No, 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 no. Signet ring. Here's the son that just had ripped off the family, lost half the family wealth, and what's he doing? He's giving him the family credit card. He's saying, welcome back to the family. I trust you. Now, in order to be back in the family, you need to go to work. You want to be a servant? You be a servant as a family member, and the family member from time to time need to go purchase stuff for the family needs. And the family business. You're welcome back to the family business. And he trusts him. Do you like that? God trusts you. I'm not worthy. Give me the shoes. Get shoes on his feet. I'm not worthy. Fatted calf. We're going to party. We're going to have a good time. God has a better life for you than a pig pen, doesn't he? But you've got to get fed up. You've got to own up. You've got to offer up. And God doesn't hold grudges for the stupid stuff we do. Aren't you glad? You don't see this father. Ah, there he is. I remember that boy. Ah, he's lost weight. He's skinnier now. Ah, I want to hear what his story is. Hmm. I want to, he just waits there on the front porch to hear the boy's explanation. Is that the way this story goes? Mm-mm. The father runs to meet him. There's a hug. There's a kiss. There's an embrace. And you know, the rest of the story. God doesn't hold grudges for the stupid stuff we does. But God is ready to forgive when we repent, take responsibility, and come home. No lecture. You don't come home to condemnation when you come home to the Father. You don't come home to a lecture. You come home to celebration. The point is, what God has forgiven, I can forget. What God has forgiven, I can forget. Let's say that together. What God has forgiven, I can forget. God does, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he thrown my transgressions. I will remember your sins no more. The Lord didn't bring it up again and again. Hey, 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 get back in line. You said you want to be a servant. I remember what you did. He doesn't throw that in the son's face. Number four, I've got to lift up praise. Lift up my praise. I've got to keep moving here. Verse uh, 23. We're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking, drinking and eating. It's going to be a party like we've never had. He, my boy, was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. And don't you know when that party took place that night? Every time the boy, you know, you can just imagine he's got the best, you know, robe on in the house, the best shoes on his feet, the signet ring. I mean, he, he is, what has he been eating? 
Like, he's starving to death, and pig food looks good to him, and now he's having filet mignon, right? You know, he's eating you know, beef ribs and brisket, and man, they have a barbecue. He's having the best food of his life. And every time he bumped into Dad, he's going, Oh, Dad, thank you so much. Dad, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. You're the best dad in the whole world. Don't you know something like that had to be taken place? Wouldn't you have, done, wouldn't you have had that kind of a spirit? I don't deserve this. Look what God's done for me. And this morning as we partook of the communion that Noe led us in, weren't we having a spiritual feast in, in your mind? I don't know. The way I looked, the, the way it came out in my mind this morning was I saw Jesus on the cross, then the cross was empty, then I saw an empty tomb, and then I saw Jesus with a smile on his face at a banquet table, and he had his fruit of the vine and bread on his side, and I had mine on mine. That's the imagery that came into my mind this morning. And I said, Lord, it's with a grateful, thankful, I don't deserve to have fellowship with you right now. But because of your grace and your mercy, I just want to say thank you. And it's with that kind of a spirit that we eat and drink the communion together with. We too have a feast. Let the party begin. And in parties, there needs to be some singing. We're going to close with this. Psalm, two more verses. Psalm 68, 4. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him. His name is the Lord. For your own transformation, you need to learn to sing. It's good for your heart. It's good for your health. Did you know that? It, it is. Look at the screen. I'll show you proof here. This is Rick Warren's research, okay? I didn't do this. So, If it's not true, but he studies some Swedish researchers and concluded the habit of group singing is good for your health. It is good for your health. And so we need to develop a habit of singing. It's good for your mental health, emotional health, social and physical health. It lowers your blood pressure. It releases endorphins. It improves mood. It builds confidence. It relieves loneliness. It releases negative emotions and stress and creates positive emotions. All that from group singing. Did you know that that happened in your body today, physically? Your cells, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, were built up this morning. Another study says... People who sing and worship every week live longer. Did you know that? That comes from a book called Imperfect Harmony. I didn't read the book, but I did read the article about the book, and it appears to be true. Finding happiness in singing with others. See, I want you to live longer. Our time's gone. It's always better when I come down here and get our praise team up there. I want you to live longer, so I want you to sing. And we're going to we're going to look at one last verse, and then we're going to sing a song to God. Uh, there's the verse. Psalm 13, 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has been so good to me. I will sing to the Lord because he has been so good to me. Matt, back up one. Or yeah, I do want to get a little commercial in here before we sing to the Lord. Uh, this week in your growth group, we're going to be looking at seven habits. Rick's going to be teaching us on the DVD for spiritual health. And on page 220 of your, your, your workbook, uh, 
You know how doctors say you're supposed to take like a physical every now and then, a little physical checkup and check your blood pressure, your heart, and all that stuff? Well, once in a while, it's good to do that spiritually. And on page 220 of this book is the spiritual health checkup. I want you all to take that this week. Now the last verse. You can go one more slide. Unless it magically disappeared. I will sing to the Lord because he's been so good to me. Has God been good to you this morning? 